Welcome to Householders, a conversation about American life as Zen practice. I'm Inga Annie Wade. And I'm Kyosaku John Mitchell, and we're lay members of the Atlanta Soto Zen Center. The other morning, I had this experience at the end of Zazen that was really powerful and not it wasn't more powerful than any i've had experiences this powerful in kind of ordinary religious situations before it wasn't like an epiphany or some kind of new opening in my life that happened but it might have been the first time it happened in a buddhist ritual that i was in the middle of and it was and i felt i felt feelings towards buddhism and i don't just mean zen i mean like all the way back to mm-hmm. gotama buddha as uh i felt feelings toward buddhism as a whole that i that i don't think i have ever felt before but it just sort of incorporated it into this larger body of experiences and teachings and beliefs and people and ancestors that i've I've felt similar feelings about all right let's let me hear you about your experience it's been a crazy couple of weeks at home uh and of course every couple of weeks is crazy but but the (laughs) the the the, the major precipitating factor here is that my parents uh have been out of town and they cover child care on one and a half days a week uh but one of them is friday which is the craziest day so we've we've had we've had an extra uh well a lot of extra child care compared to usual and so i was i'm super stressed out there's there's been Mm -hmm. sleep problems and late nights and stuff and you know i wake up super early to do my practice so so it's, it's always really hard to drag myself out of bed in those on those days and also tons of stuff on my mind you know zazen is very busy and full of full of worries and rehashings of things and it also always drops off into uh thank god i'm in thank god i'm in this situation right now you know like this is my hour i'm gonna i'm going to just not do those things but there's you know so it's 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 in and out of positive and negative and neutral feelings as it always is yeah um but so so there's a lot on my mind there's a lot on my i'm carrying a lot of my body too and i do my sit and i do my kinhin in the kitchen that's where i do my kinhin after i sit at home and then i come back in uh to my altar which is uh, pretty fancy these days. I'm much fancier than any altar I've ever had. Um, certainly any Buddhist altar I've ever had. Uh, and I do, I chant the Heart Sutra and then I do the dedication of merit at the end. And ever since I started doing the, oh, and then, well, and, and I have, I have a candle that I don't, I can't burn incense in the house because of the kids. And it's, yeah. So, so I, I, the candle sort of serves all of the offering purposes and it's the candle is sort of the microcosm of the whole sort of temple practice. Yeah. I use a candle too. Yeah. I have this cool, uh, 80 hour candle. That's a coiled beeswax candle that you uncoil nice. a little bit of every time. Uh, and so that's right in the center. And I, 
um, I have a nice brass candle snuffer too. So I do the dedication of merit and then I snuff out the candle and the, uh, I, the can't dedication of merit has always been a really powerful thing for me, uh, ever since I, you know, learned about that practice. So the merit, this is a, this is a concept in Buddhism that I'm sure people believe in, in a much more intuitive way than I do. And, you know, it's probably not that important in Zen to believe that there's like any actual exchange happening here where like you've racked up merit points for sitting and doing chanting sutras, and now you're dedicating it to all beings. But the sentiment that, that I get from the words, I find really humbling and powerful, which is like, uh, I am not getting enlightened like I'm not doing this practice because it's going to benefit me personally. I'm doing this practice yeah. for all beings. May this merit extend universally to all so that we together with all beings realize the Buddha way. That has always been a really affecting passage for me. Whenever I chant that passage, I feel something. And, and, and I think it has to do with just the sort of decentering of myself and my own practice. And I, I have, you know, I think it's natural to feel this, but I have at many times in my life felt a certain pride in my meditation practice that I've accomplished something. Like if I sit for a long time, I, I feel I've felt good about myself. And so the, having this uh, passage to read at the end is a really nice way to kind of cognitively remind myself, this isn't, I, I, I don't, I'm, this is nothing special. Like I'm not, I'm not, I'm, I'm not like a special good boy for doing this practice. Like this practice mm -hmm. is for, is for, for w waking up all beings and it's, and it's for nothing less than that. Um, yeah. So, so I've always felt that I felt like I'm stepping out of the center and like the rest of the universe is, is the center. So, so that's, so I get to that point in this practice the other morning and the, you know, the whole weight of like what I've been doing for the last few days and what I'm about to do in 10 minutes when everybody's awake and everything starts going crazy. You know, I, there's sort of a feeling like I could really use that merit. Like I, like I really kind of want to hang on to this merit and like help, like have it oh. help ca carry me or help me, but I'm not going to do that. And so I dedicate it and then I put out the candle and it's as though the light did not go out when I put out the candle. And I don't mean that in like a very vivid perceptual way, but I'm used to snuffing out this candle and having the room go dark. Mm -hmm. And that did happen in a literal sense, but there was also this really real sense in which I was still glowing the same way as I had been before I put the candle out. And after a little while, the thing that came to me about what, what, what that was, what that glow was, was that it was the devotion to the practice, the devotion itself. It wasn't, it wasn't the, you know, the, 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 the Zen state of being mm -hmm. if you, that, if you will, that like gave me this luminous feeling. It was the devotion to doing this practice that I have had, despite how challenging it has been to maintain that devotion, like something, some devotion, some love is keeping me doing this. And that feeling, I might, I don't know that I've really ever fully felt devoted to the, to Zen practice before. 
And of course I haven't been really because I've done it for a month, few months at a time and then stopped doing it and then like picked it back up again in a fit of peak and then stopped doing it again. And this is the first time I just, I've started doing it and, and just a year has gone by and I've never stopped doing it. And I feel like the devotion is really coming through. What does that word devotion mean to you? Yeah, that's the thing I actually want to talk about. The, th- the thing I actually want to talk about is, is devotion in Buddhism and devotion in maybe our religious backgrounds or something, because I feel like devotion is actually kind of a, a tricky word for mm-hmm. a lot of people I know who do Buddhist practice, particularly the ones who sort of identify as atheists, you know, yeah. because devotion sounds like a religious word to them or a faith word or a word that means devotion to the divine to to god like like there's no other thing that could fill in that blank for some people oh yeah i see what you're saying and and that's not exactly what i was feeling i was feeling devoted devotion to doing a practice but i was looking at a statue of the buddha when i said that when i felt that you Mm -hmm. know so like there there was i i was devoted to an a, a a form and like sitting in zazen myself is a form, but like, you know, we blur that line super hard by calling it Buddha practice and being, you know, the Matsuoka Roshi version of the thing that all Zen teachers say is like, do zazen for five minutes, you're a Buddha for five minutes, right? Yeah. So so it so it really is devotion to to the Buddha, and that's why I why I felt it that way. Um and I think that that word rubs some people the wrong way. And I think I noticed at that moment that I have no problem with it whatsoever. So Mm -hmm. what does it bring up for you? To me, I think it can have a negative connotation because it, in some ways it means that you're so devoted that you couldn't hear any criticism of, uh, you know, that that has been my experience in some instances where it's like, well, this person is a very devoted whatever. And you can you can argue with them but they'll never hear what you say because <laughs> they're so devoted but then you can also hear it in another way like um he was a devoted husband uh-huh. uh which sounds really nice like he didn't see other women or something mm-hmm. in that way or maybe he did and he decided to you know not do anything about it mm. um. <laughs> sometimes i feel like that also a devoted husband in particular has a connotation also of like not putting work ahead of the family or, you know, not, not like oh, having, having him, family be your first priority. Yeah. So that's, that's also true. Like, you know, cause, cause I, I can see that, you know, this sort of stereotype where the, the over the workaholic husband or something. And yeah, yeah that doesn't seem like he's very devoted, I guess. Um, so that, that's kind of my connotations with it, but I, that like devotion as in like maybe you're doing something over and over for the sake of that thing you can be a devoted clarinet clarinet. Mm. (laughs) why did i pick that word okay a a devoted flautist Uh (laughs) um and you'd be uh, you know you'd make sure that you practice very regularly can someone feel uh, that same devotion that you felt on the cushion to um, playing an instrument? Or is it different somehow? Oh, I, well, to me, it's exactly the same as someone who plays some instruments. And I know for a fact that I'm way more devoted 
to my Zen practice than I am to any instrument. And I have always sought to be that devoted to my instruments and never really have been. And the, well, and I also, for most of my, I mean, for, you know, I've been, I've been doing Zen practice basically for like 15 years, but for 14 of those years, I was barely doing it. Right. And I was, mm-hmm. I wasn't devoted to it in, at all. And, and definitely in that case, I've known sitting on the cushion, like I have to be devoted to this if I'm going to really do this. And I never have been. And now suddenly I am. My question is, where did I get devotion from? Like I haven't had devotion really to things. And, and, and this is why, that's why I, why I thought maybe previous religious experience might factor into it. Not that I was ever devoted to Judaism or to mm-hmm. God either, really, except maybe in a couple of moments. Uh, but it, that, but that never really stuck in the same way. Like it doesn't count to be devoted for a moment, right? Uh, and maybe I've been exposed to what it feels like. But no, I think I think that actually, it's funny that this didn't come up for me as an example. But I think you're quite right to raise family as sort of the key example of thing of devotion in householder life because that's clearly the thing i'm most i've been most devoted to in my life is is my partners and now my children yeah i think that that plays into uh, each other though i feel like i'm more devoted to other things in my life as a buddhist than i was when i was not or before I practice because mm. you know being a Buddhist that's kind of a big thing but before I, I practiced with uh, a Sangha I was just in this state where I really wanted to be devoted to something mm-hmm. I think I used the word commitment though mm-hmm. I wanted to be committed like I you know couldn't really keep a relationship I guess I had a couple like a two-year relationship and a three-year relationship mm-hmm. but at the back of my mind i was always like this isn't what i want like i need to find like the perfect situation and mm-hmm. i you know would switch a lot with like my ideas of what i wanted to do for a career um i could na- name off like a whole list of things that i tried to do mm-hmm. um, and was not devoted to any of those things mm-hmm. zen came at a point where i was like i want to be a committed or devoted person, but I'm not, mm. <laughs> you know, and I think devotion is as much of a practice as the practice itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like there's going to be situations where you don't want to do the thing that you're supposed to do. And I still get that way. I still wake up and think like I could try, I could do something totally different. You know, I, I only have one life. Mm. Well, give it a go. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter if I uproot this whole situation that I have now, like I could just do whatever I want. And, you know, I don't, Mm -hmm. (laughs) and Mm. I don't like, I don't think about it seriously long enough to, you know, really consider it anymore. Like I don't give into those impulses. I don't think like Zen is the only reason I don't do that anymore. I think like, my disability also plays a lot into it because that's sort of like the forefront of my existence. Like 
You have to take care of this to do anything. Mm -hmm. You can't take care of this if you constantly uproot your life. Mm -hmm. But that was more like the reason I wanted to be devoted to, to what I was doing and like to a, a bigger goal and to a bigger, I don't know, identity. I don't want to say identity because I don't even really feel like I have an identity now. Mm. But <laughs> I just wanted to stick with something. It sounds like there's an aspect of stability to it for you. Absolutely. The stability of building relationships and, and uh, building community and, you know, building your career and everything. You can't really do those things if you're not devoted to anything that you're you're doing you can't you know be a good spouse or a good father if you're not devoted to your children yeah yeah the i love what you said about about devotion as a practice in itself that it has to be practiced i think that's certainly true the fact that i did so much zazen before ever feeling it is a testament to that i think because you know, because I knew that that practice was for me a long time ago. So I stuck with some, I stuck with it for some reason. And then finally it flowered into the thing that I felt the other morning. And so clearly there was some amount of devotion to it there from the beginning, or maybe there were some other feelings that substituted for devotion and then it turned into devotion. It's kind of hard to say. I mean, I'm interested in your distinction of commitment and devotion. You're for one, I feel like you have experienced this one uh, very powerful moment of time and you're calling that devotion. But the fact that you've been getting up on the cushion every morning uh, for a few months now, it, you know, even on days when it was tough, you had like a really hard time getting up. That's devotion, too. Yeah, just just to be really clear what, what I mean about the thing that happened the other day. It's it's not that I felt devotion for the first time. It's that I realized that it was there and it was like this uh, raging fire in my belly that I had. You, you know? recognize yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. I recognize that that is why. I mean, I mean, I think there might have been an element for me of why the hell am I getting up to do this on days when I feel like this for a little mm -hmm. while. And the answer to that question was the feeling that I was having. It's like, because you're devoted to it. And, and it was a relief to recognize that. It was a relief to recognize that I had kindled the fire of devotion or that I had practiced devotion, to use your terms, enough that it had sort of come to life like, like this. Uh, but the thing, the thing I've been wondering about since then is, while I completely agree with you that it's got to be something that you develop intentionally, mm -hmm. uh, devotion, that is. Th th I also think that there is a capacity for it. Some, there's, something, there's something about it that feels innately human to me, maybe essentially human to me, essential to being a human. Devotion as, as a thing that humans need to find. And, yeah. And, and, and that is where it starts to trouble me that there are people who are doing this practice who don't want to find it, you know? It's starting to tunnel under the problem with like 
atheist spirituality, if you will, or or something something that I, I think you and I have both sort of we haven't really talked about it directly, but we've both bristled at the idea, or we both we both ex- expressed that we've played with that idea and then rejected that idea. That, yeah, and and and. You know, I'm not talking about theology right now. Like, I don't think we're we're talking about like, is there a god? Oh, is there I don't, not a yeah, god? Yeah, I don't think so either. That's not interesting. But I, but I think that I think that what is interesting is the there's got to be like the thing that the thing that like militant atheists don't understand is I'm talking about like internet atheists, like ones that don't actually well, have yeah, experience I know what you're with talking religion. About yeah, it's like. This kind of I think it's a small percent in reality, but they're very loud. Yeah, but there's there's like there's a lot of but but I, I also find a lot of this kind of atheism in Buddhist circles. And yes. and, and that's it's the, the, the kind I'm talking about is as follows. The kind that doesn't recognize that there are valid emotional and psychological reasons that people have religious yearnings. And I'm not saying that those yearnings that or, or the or the motivations the emotions and psychology that underlies them uh necessarily points toward the existence of any particular being as the mm-hmm. reason to for those for those things or for as the end goal but that the, the longing that people are are meeting with religious beliefs is a real thing that religion really does provide for people and yeah. there are other ways to fill those needs but they have to fill all of the needs or there's something missing, right? And so when somebody comes to Buddhism and says, I like Buddhism because it doesn't require that I be devoted to any supernatural being. Mm. My question is, are they finding that devotion in something else in the practice or are they just putting it aside? And I bet there are more of these topics that we could come up with, but I feel like devotion is actually a really good example illustrative example of this kind of thing and like if you it, like maybe you, like i fully can like believe an atheist buddhist who tells me that devotion to the buddhist forms is a religious practice i mean they may not even use the word but like i would believe them if they told me i feel complete devotion to these forms because i just felt that i just felt mm-hmm. complete devotion to these forms but if they tell me that they don't feel devotion, that is something that I'm starting to to worry about. But if we're saying you can have devotion to um, an instrument, mm-hmm. then why would it be any different from having devotion to a practice? Well, I think that's what we are both saying. But I think that there, I think that we would have to make that case to some people, because mm-hmm. I, because I think that there are people that I have talked to for whom devotion. And the other kinds of religious emotions, let's create that category and put a devotion yes, in. Yes, okay, are, sure. is, is a weakness. It's a, it's a lack of self-reliance. And that's mm-hmm. the thing that really freaks me out is when people get into Buddhism and they're like, I'm doing this. Like, I'm into Buddhism because I'm doing it myself. Like, there is no God to save me. Only I, you know, like, there's so much I language in all the stuff I'm saying. And I think that that's telling. Like, the thing I like about Buddhist meditation is that you can find out the truth for yourself. Mm-hmm. And there's just so many Buddhist problems with the statement that I just made, most of which are concentrated on the last word, yourself. But the the this attitude, and I think it also speaks a little bit to the militant thing that we've talked about with Zen in particular, is like this sort of 
cowboy attitude about like i'm just gonna sit here on this cushion until i become superman and the there is a there is a different way to sit on that cushion and it's a it's a sitting on the cushion out of devotion to the wisdom of this tradition and to the people sitting next to me practicing it yes well and then here's the difference one is that you're sitting to to gain something mm-hmm. and the other one is you're sitting for the benefit of others yes so but i mean i don't think that necessarily like just you know and i, I know you're speak you're speaking about this very specific type of atheist but i think that even atheists probably have that feeling that they of community and devotion to community that we have well this is exactly what i'm saying is that i want them to because then <laughs> they have everything they need they don't i'm they don't need any supernatural beliefs or whatever i don't actually like that word at all but you know like they, they don't have to believe in they don't have to believe in the thing they don't want to believe in in order to have that that's that is what i want for yeah. them well I, and, and maybe i was wrong to even bring atheism per se into it because what i'm really talking about is people who are anti something yeah and that's why they come to buddhism well i get what you're saying because you know when you think of atheist it's it sounds like you're it anti-god mm-hmm. um but really anti-religion yeah or your particular religion that you grew up with and there are like atheists who think that religion is the cause of like a lot of you know or all terrible things on this planet and really if you eradicated it it would be better Mm -hmm. and those are the kind of atheists that i i typically don't agree with to put it lightly uh, because i have a religion that's very peaceful and if you know i i feel like if everybody practiced religion in this way that it would actually be a benefit for everyone Mm -hmm. And yeah, there's always going to be a way to distort dogmatic ideas to your own benefit. But I feel like that's the wrong way to practice a religion. Yeah. And and anytime you're talking about eradicating things, there's 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 alarm bells going off, I think. Right. Absolutely. I, I don't dispute some of the historical facts that people like that like to trumpet about religion's role oh, in the world. And of course, like I, I this I was just in a in a conversation about on Twitter about this where somebody really wanted me to get m- m- like mad or feel bad about Zen uh, Zen's role in World War II, like how how you know th- like the the establishment Soto Zen priesthood and monks were like o- okay with World War II and like the emperor's desire to take over the world and they're like don't you feel bad about that and and i I just had to be like no like i don't feel responsible for that like religion is does terrible things all the time like why would zen be special in this way that like no other religion is well that's kind of you have to separate those those things because when you talk to like the average uh muslim they would Mm -hmm. obviously denounce a lot of the things that you know isis or other extremist groups have done they're not like that and they would never do those things yeah and they don't experience religion in that way um even if it is the same religion it's not what they practice yeah um and it's this the same like i 
I don't I don't know about the whole like World War Two thing. And said, that's interesting. Yeah. Maybe I should read about that. But of course, I, I have seen in, in history and even now where um, Buddhist nations or um, peoples have have um, practiced violence against like uh, Muslims in particular. Yeah. I've noticed in, in Myanmar. Um, yeah. Myanmar. Yeah. And I think Bhutan as well. Yeah. So, you know, just because you are Buddhist doesn't mean that you're perfect and doesn't mean that you're practicing it in the perfect way that's going to establish uh you know peace with everyone i think ideally that that would be amazing and that'd be great but you know we're all human and we're all um we're all suspect to be corrupted uh given certain circumstances yeah but what we're really doing here i think is separating religion the human or like institution and set of organizations with its own sort of self-sustaining pragmatic needs and concerns and also its marketing and its you know its way of finding customers and all all of the earthly things about religion with a capital R from the the actual experiences that it's there to facilitate which are personal emotional interpersonal human experiences that everyone needs and i'm not saying everybody needs to have any particular institutional religion or any institutional religion at all what i'm saying is the emotions that we feel and that we yearn to feel that drive us to religion are, are are critical things in some way they've always been there and the the important thing is only that you find them in something and like mm. buddha and dharma and sangha take on this kind of religious and uh, religious isn't the word they take they take they take on this almost like superstitious level of significance i think for a lot of buddhists because they're the three treasures they're the thing that define buddhism as a structure but I think you could also look at those three things as really just particular language for something much more basic that is that kind of is the three categories of these needs the personal intellectual rational need is served mm-hmm. by the dharma the interpersonal community togetherness and support and being outside of yourself is served by the sangha and the buddha aspect which of course sounds like the most religious one is really the universal aspect the connection to everything that transcends all categories and all particular ways of experiencing it and and that's for everyone too so those are the three words that buddhists use to describe those things but you but but this but i would dare say that not only do we need all three of those things, everybody needs all three of those things. And if one of them is missing or lacking in some way, it's not going to be a complete fulfilling life. And devotion is something that that you have to have to, to all three of those things in order to make sure that they're there for you and that you that you're there for them. Householders is a production of the Atlanta Soto Zen Center in Atlanta, Georgia, and the Silent Thunder Order. Find us on the web 
at ASZC.org. Our Sangha depends on your support. You can donate by PayPal to donate at storder.org. Gashou.